What I learned in public health, all the different education that there was, is that your zip code and your education determine your life expectancy. And this one fact changed my life. Hello there, Brave Table fam. Welcome to another episode of The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Nita, and this is your oasis. Your oasis to be just a little bit more brave in your life, in your actions, and in your relationships. And today, my goodness, we have a juicy conversation. This is going to leave you just wanting more. I'm so excited to bring you on. Somebody that I've deeply just had such a juicy time meeting and getting to know and dropping in with. And her name is Simran Kapoor. She is the founder of Potion, a premium holistic wellness brand focused on bringing Ayurveda's 5,000-year-old medicinal wisdom to the modern consumer via time-tested plant-based remedies and wellness tools. Now, Simran's journey is honestly just like your own. She's had the most incredible journey into self-love from defying all odds, going into med school, and realizing that it honestly wasn't right for her. Well, because she actually found cancer. And at the age of 28, she made it so that she dropped out and started to heal herself with Potion. And you're going to hear all about her journey, all about the unwavering self-love that she had to develop for herself. And so often coming from immigrant backgrounds, so often coming from families where there is so much expectation and so much obligation to put others first, this was a true act of self-care. So you are going to fall in love with this episode. You're going to fall in love with her. You're probably going to want to order Potion right away. And you're going to hear so much more. So let's bring on Simran Kapoor to The Brave Table. Popping in to tell you your exclusive invite to joining me for an exclusive three-day weekend intensive retreat experience with the one and only Sri Sri Ravi Shankar at his Art of Living Center in the incredible oasis of Boone, North Carolina. That is my three-day rise up and fly forward weekend intensive. Now, during this weekend intensive, I invite you to deep dive into the messy moments and the obstacles and the challenges that didn't go as planned. Because in those three days, we are going to navigate and acknowledge the magical moment of suck, recognizing the contributing elements of your bounce factor and how to process them, how to centralize and regulate your nervous system as well as we will be taking you through different meditations, group discussions, journaling, one-on-one sharing. And this would be your personal retreat with me as your guide to explore and embrace the unexpected magic in the mess and find your joy through the chaos of sometimes life's heavy moments. So you'll be able to learn how to overcome your internal blocks to unlock your full potential, rewire your thought patterns and replace outdated beliefs and behaviors, increase your emotional capacity when dealing with stress, develop your own personal blueprint and framework for bouncing back from life's challenges. And whether you are experiencing a transition, dealing with a loss, or simply looking to make real life changes, you will come out of those three days stepping into your now what and creating your next chapter. So Brave Table fam, use this link to book your three-day experience with me for only $3.50 at the Boone Center in North Carolina. 
That is neetabushin.com forward slash events. And that is also linked in the show notes. And now back to the show. All right, here we are. Hi, Nita. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to The Brave Table. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to actually start by asking you, what are you braving right now in this season of life? I think I'm braving just the courage to be the face of my brand, which is a big one, to tell my story unapologetically, mm. to share my truth and hope that it reaches whoever it needs to reach. Mm. Yes. And as you're saying unapologetically, I feel like so often when we arrive at the season of unapologetic, like we have been through some stuff, we have we're done with like the old ways of doing things. Yeah. Take us through all of the things that you had to go through, knock through, dive into, clear through. Like I imagine you like, you know, metaphorically running through the woods, the jungles, like super powering yourself into the queen that I've seen you because we just did a mini event together. We did and it was amazing. In Austin and you are like a brilliant powerhouse. Take us back through the woman who wasn't that person who was apologetic. Who was she? Where was she? Where did she start? Ooh, that was a heavy question. I don't know how it just landed, but it got me emotional because I wouldn't even consider myself a woman until the last couple of years. I would consider myself a child, kind of like a untethered kite flying and floating in the wind. And that's kind of what my life has always felt like until the last two years when I decided I was just going to pivot my whole life in a new direction and surrender completely, which is not to you know, relinquish control of everything, but it is to kind of relinquish the control that I think I know exactly what my life is meant to be. And it's just to follow that thread of truth and intuition. And that's been what has actually transitioned me into the woman that I am today. You know, as a child... I didn't grow up with all of the stability that I wish that I had. Mm. My parents did the best that they can, but there wasn't financial stability. There wasn't emotional stability. There was a lot of trauma that I experienced and a lot that I saw in the world. At a young age, we moved to India. and So you were born here? I was born in San Francisco. Mm. At the age of five, very impressionable age, I moved to Bombay, India, and I saw poverty all around me. And that had a huge impact on my conscience. Mm. And my mom really saw that in me. And she started teaching me about the concept of seva, which you're familiar with. And this concept has kind of ruled my life. And I think it's because I started learning at this young age. Well, and for the non, you know, Desi folks in the room, what is seva? So seva means selfless service. What I internalized was not quite the definition of seva. I internalize selfless service without the need of loving yourself mm. and putting yourself first. So it's what, without care or love for yourself. And instead, seva actually means to selflessly serve without the need for reward or recognition. Those are two very different concepts. Mm. And so from there, I kind of just put on this like armor that I was going to be the person that helped save the world. And maybe in that way, I was going to find love 
outside of myself or maybe even inside of myself by proving that I had the ability to make a change and that my life meant something and that it was valuable. And I think that thread kind of took me up until the moment where this is why I really love potion and I don't even consider it like I'm just so grateful that it's even out in the world Mm. because it was the first thing that I did for myself Mm. as an expression of love to myself and the fact that that has grown into something that other people want whereas all the other work that I've done it didn't always feel like it was received in the way that I had intended or didn't reach as many people as I had hoped whether it was you know I was a special ed teacher to Teach for America. I worked in the public health department. I ran a center for UCSF. I was a clinical researcher. I went to med school. So I did a lot of things. And you know, even as a child, did a lot of service-related stuff. But it's funny because now I have so much love, so much joy in my life, so much passion, so much freedom. And mm. the service is happening in a much greater way mm as I'm serving myself. So I think that's what has made me the woman I am today is like all the knockdowns and all the hardship has really given me permission to love myself. Yeah, it's huge, your whole journey and your whole story. And even going through med school is hard in and of itself. It was hard. But you... And expensive. (laughs) And expensive. So you did, and I just want to back up the train a little bit. You didn't go to med school first. Like, no, you know, no. I think I was older than most of my classmates. Yeah. So, what made you go through the traditional, or the I guess it was a non-conventional path to getting to med school? Yeah. And why, after Teach for America and you know researching, you decided to still go into medicine? So I kind of shared, you know, from a young age, I wanted to help people, and. In Indian culture, it's like everyone jokes about it. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Okay, well, what did I fit? Doctor, obviously. I wanted to help people heal. I wanted to really make a difference in their lives. So that was always in the back of my head. And I think part of it is also like growing in a financially unstable home. My parents really wanted me and my sister to be financially stable. They wanted job security. So even if I pretend that it was my decision to go to med school and become a doctor... There was a lot of this behind the scenes of like... The subconscious programming. The subconscious programming (laughs) that you need to be able to earn your own money and that if, you know, economic downturn happens, people always need doctors, right? You're never going to be not going to the doctor. And so that's kind of... It was in the back of my head. And I knew med school was hard. When I got into my undergrad, I did public health at UC Berkeley. And it was one of the best majors I could have ever picked because that changed the trajectory of not going to med school right away. Mm -hmm. Public health is all about the health of a population. It's all preventative, whereas medicine is reactionary. So what I learned in public health, all the different education that there was, is that your zip code and your education determine your life expectancy. And this one fact changed my life. Wow, your zip code... In your education. Determine your life expectancy. How long you live, how healthy you are, is determined by where you live and how you're educated. So it was a no-brainer for me. I told my parents, I'm joining the Peace Corps. And they were like, F, no, you are not joining the Peace Corps. That is so dangerous. You know, Indian family, you're not moving far away. So I was like, fine, I'm doing Teach for America. And I applied and, you know, I worked as a special education teacher in some of the roughest neighborhoods of the country. Like, where did you go? So I was in Northern Richmond, California. Oh, wow. And then my second year in Oakland. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. 
And I was a special ed teacher, both middle school and high school. And, you know, taught every single subject to kids with different learning exceptionalities, traumatic brain injury, autism, intellectual disability, emotional disturbance. And you can imagine that it's not just the learning exceptionality that I was up against, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of my kids grew up in foster homes. They had abusive parents or parents who are drug addicts. And a lot of them, you know, as a 21-year-old, they would say, Ms. Kapoor, can you be our mom? Can you adopt us? It was heartbreaking. It really, and you know, one of my students passed away and she was one of them who asked me to adopt her. It was Mm -hmm. just, for me, you can imagine like a very sensitive human being who really wanted to change the world. It had a lot of impacts on me. And I knew at that point when I was doing teaching that I wanted to go down the path of medicine, but I became obsessed with understanding the entire ecosystem. How do you help empower people in their health? So I learned the realm of public health. I learned the realm of education. I saw that communication was very poor amongst you know different stakeholders in a family and in a child's life. Mm. So then I turned to research. I turned to the clinical aspect to build a center for kids with different communication disorders to make it multidisciplinary. So I really was like chasing that thread. And obviously I was getting older and my family was like, are you ever going to be a doctor? So the doctor thing, they didn't let up. They were just like, that's, they're like, they're like, you're going to, you're going to still apply. Right. And you're still going to go. And I was like, yeah, but I'm trying to, I think I knew that as much as I wanted to be a doctor, that wasn't my end goal. Hmm. I knew it was never going to be satisfied by just seeing patients because I wanted to touch millions of lives. This was just something that was inside me since I was a young age. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have a much bigger impact. And I saw it in public health, but I didn't get the face-to-face interaction that I got, you know, being a teacher and that I got in the clinic. And I liked that aspect too. So I was having a hard time figuring out like, how do I have this big impact, but I also keep that connection with someone. Mm -hmm. And so that's when, when I was building the center for UCSF, a lot of my mentors were head and neck surgeons. It was the head and neck surgery department. And I became very fascinated with this part of the body. Mm. And that's, as you can imagine, I went down the wrong path because I started realizing I was sitting in, this is actually, this moment changed my life as well. I was sitting in a room, I'd just been hired to run the center with all these doctors. And I was the only one who was not a doctor. And, you know, my boss was like having me just introduce me to everyone because I was going to be leading this clinic. And I remember they're having their meeting and they're talking about some patients and the primary care doctors as if they were the janitors of the industry. Mm. And I realized, oh my God, there's a hierarchy in medicine Mm. that becoming a doctor is not like- That wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough Mm. because you don't get no respect that you're not educated enough. I mean, you're in med school and you become a doctor Mm -hmm. and you're helping people. That's not good enough, right? They don't know everything about the human body. We are specialists and we know so much and Mm. we're so much smarter. And I think that- almost like an ant just kind of like went into my brain and I was like, oh my God, if people are going to take me seriously, I need to have X number of papers published. I need to, you know, be a surgeon. I need to then become the chair of the department one day. Like, so the accolades are like now starting to run wild in your head. 
wild. Mm. And I enter med school and it was UC Davis. So my husband was in San Francisco. We were doing kind of long distance and it sucked because I thought I was going to get into UCSF and I didn't. Mm. And it was really hard on our relationship. And I was like, well, if we're, you know, and love was a big part of my life. That's Mm. something I just could not deny is that my soul was happy when I was with my partner. Mm. But I felt like this thing that I had to do Mm. was like, had to be prioritized. My career had to be prioritized. But I worked my ass off because I was like, I need to become a resident at Stanford or UCSF. Like we can't do long distance. Like he can't move. Mm -hmm. So it was just this constant battle of chasing, chasing, chasing. And do you think that because, you know, it's almost like ingrained in our, you know, DNA from children of immigrant parents of like these traditional, conventional, stable jobs and two parts of my question, but even in my past of, you know, that was the one thing that my dad always wanted. He's like, one of my kids is going to be a doctor. And because he wanted to go into medicine. Totally. And totally. his dad, my dadaji, my grandfather was a diplomat and he couldn't become a doctor because he was a diplomat and he was on planes even way back when in the 60s and met with a lot of foreign dignitaries. So he wanted to put and make sure my dad became one. Well, my dad broke his shoulder and couldn't take whatever test he was supposed to take or like failed it or, you know, whatever the case was. And so in a way, my dad thought that he was letting down his dad. And then of course, passed on this, whatever we want to call it, trauma or expectation to our kids. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is the amount of then pressure that is like subconsciously planted and ingrained in ourselves to like chase the carrot, chase the carrot, chase the carrot, and then nothing is enough. Did you ever, you know, feel that? I was depressed in med school. Mm. I'd achieved this dream, but I was so miserable. I was so depressed Um, and makes me emotional thinking about it because I felt so alone and it was just constant and it was just studying and sleeping and studying. I mean, it wasn't a life. Like it was just something where I stressed myself out so much that I wasn't satisfied and I didn't feel smart enough. Mm And even though I'd accomplished all these amazing things, and it's funny because I do think like now looking back, I think I did this also to make my parents proud of me. I think that's a big thing for a lot of children, especially in immigrant cultures, is that we want to make sure that our parents feel like their sacrifices were worth it because they gave us a better life. Mm -hmm. And to go against the grain and do something totally out of the box, is it's a big risk. You might not be successful. You might not live a stable life. And so that stability is something, that respect is something that's very much sought after in our culture. And I think that's why the doctor is like the best and the highest that you can, it's like doctor and then engineer and then lawyer, you know, um, is probably the (laughs) order because you're helping people. You're respected by society. It's so hard to do. And it's stable. Stable. It's stable. So I want to get into your full story, but what do you say for those who are breaking their butts off and their tails off in medicine, dentistry, optometry, you know, pharmacy, all of these um, lauded professions that would make our families happy 
yet at the sake of our own mental health. What advice, if there is somebody out there listening to this or you're sharing this with a family friend, a friend, a cousin, a bestie, and you're not really feeling it or maybe you're doing it for the wrong reasons, what advice would you give to them? I think really question yourself. I will say I'm very stubborn and I was very stubborn. So you hear it a million times, med school is no joke, it's really hard. And I would look at those people and say, but I really want to do this. You don't know me. You don't know me and I'm going to do this anyway. But I forgot, or maybe I just didn't quite know what happiness truly was, what self-love truly was. So I think before going into any of these really lauded professions that do take a lot out of you, you have to know not just that you can do it and that you're good enough and you're not proving anything, but you genuinely, it brings you so much inner joy to do it. Like I will say like I love science and I love the human body. That's not something I ever questioned. I remember studying and looking at my hand and being like, "Wow, like all this is happening under the surface." Like it's but then I was like, "Oh my god, I have 200 pages to read tonight. Like I have to continue to like I can't just marvel in the beauty of it all." So I would say I spend some time actually getting to know yourself. What makes you happy? What makes you tick? What are the other priorities in your life? Because as a 20-something-year-old going into medicine or going into these careers, you don't quite know yourself yet. And just take it with a grain of salt that if someone is questioning you, they're not questioning your ability to succeed in the profession. They're questioning, is it going to give you that inner joy, inner love, and inner happiness? And those are two very different things. I took it personally to think that people thought I wasn't good enough because I had that own inner wound inside me. Nobody was saying that. You know, and my mom would say, are you sure it's very hard? But that's how people say, are you sure it's very hard? They don't mean it's hard work. It's emotionally taxing. It's taxing on your relationships. It's taxing with your family members. That's a little bit of gaslighting, by the way. When a family member is like, it's a backhanded compliment. Exactly. You know, and that is a form of gaslighting because they're challenging you and they're kind of almost giving you a compliment, but it's like, well, can you really do it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it really for you? It is, of course, a lot of hard work and a lot of studying. But think about what other joys you have in your life and, you know, how it can impact those. Because the truth is, if I was a surgeon today and I didn't have my partner and I didn't have the life that we live and the joy that we have and our, you know, the moments to travel, like those are all sacrifices I begrudgingly was willing to make. Yeah. Because I wanted to prove that I could do it but I was just killing myself in the process. Hmm. So you get into med school and you now find this tumor. Yeah. So I was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 28. I was practicing doing a head and neck exam on myself. So I told you I was obsessed with this part of the body. And I had just been sick a few weeks before. I'd gotten the flu and I never quite recovered. And the lethargy and the fatigue was like ever present. And you know how hard it is in med school. Like you miss a day, it's like missing a week. You miss a couple of days, it's like missing a month. So I was very behind. And the competition is fierce. And the competition is fierce. So I was just And your kill- classmates, they let you know that like, it's like, ha ha, she missed a week of school. I was stressed about it, but you know, I was studying for another class during lecture when they started announcing the head and neck exam. And that's the only reason, you know, because 
sometimes when you're behind, you'll like, and any student will relate to me here, like you're studying for something else, you're not really paying attention with what's going on in class, you'll listen to the lecture later. They start talking about the head and neck exam and I prop up and I was like, this is my jam. This is what I want to do. I'm so focused. I'm so ready. And then we break out and we're doing, you know, practice exams and I feel something in my neck and I feel my partner and it feels different. And there's something inside me that's like, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And I'd been having this nagging feeling for a couple months that like, you don't have a lot of time. You got to make a big impact now, now, not like later, now. And I didn't know where this was coming from. And so I went to my professor and I was like, hey, something feels different compared to like the people that I've you know, touch their neck and like doesn't feel the same. She's like, well, you said you were sick. It feels a little inflamed. Like you might have swollen lymph nodes or something like that, but you can always get it checked out. And I was like, okay, well, I am going to get it checked out. What should I do? And so she said, you can get an ultrasound. I was like, what if they find something? She's like, well, then you get your blood test and get a biopsy. And so I wrote to my doctor when I went home that day and I lied. And I said, my professor is very worried about me because I knew the medical system, right? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Mm -hmm. Otherwise things take forever. I said, I need a blood test. I need ultrasound. I need a biopsy. And the next week I go in and I just got a scan done. Within 30 minutes, I'm like, I go back to the library and I get a call and... It's the radiologist, very scared, and the, my PCP is on the line. And they said, we're pretty positive you have cancer, and it looks like it's everywhere. That's what they said, point blank. There's no biopsy done or anything. Of, wow. They're like, it looks like you have cancer, and it looks like it's everywhere that we've scanned. And I just dropped to the floor crying. I didn't know. I was in so much shock, and my life changed from that moment. It went from being the healer and the person on this side of you know, the hospital bed and the chair to being in the chair and fighting for my life. And how ironic or maybe magical and beautiful that all along you've wanted to be a head and neck surgeon and that the one class that you're so excited for is the head and neck partner exam where you start to practice on each other. And there in your own intuition, you noticed your own tumor. And you know, everyone thought I was a hypochondriac. That's the thing too. It's about when you have your inner knowing and something is screaming, you have to pay attention. You have to listen. I told my parents the week before, you know, I got in a fight with my dad and and I was like, you don't even know, like, what if I have cancer? And he just like laughed at me and he's like, Summer, don't be ridiculous. My mom's like, no, she is worried. Like she's going to get some, you know, scans and stuff done next week. She thinks like she has something. But who would imagine a 28 year old Hmm. with so much cancer in their body? And I want to kind of double click on that piece because when your parents had their reaction, how did that make you feel? It made me feel discounted, truly. And I will say, like, I know my family loves me fiercely and I love them fiercely. But I do think every child needs to be parented to how the child is and who the child is and how sensitive they are and, you know, all of those things. And I do feel like, I never felt heard growing up. Mm. And so it was just another example of not feeling heard and then being right about it all, right? Mm. And, and it wasn't just them. It just felt like me against the world. Mm, that you have to prove. I have to prove myself. I have to prove that I'm right. I have to prove that I'm worthy of something, that I can make a difference in people's lives. Mm. There was a lot of that energy. Yeah. Mm. So... What was that feeling then after finding out you had 
I mean, it seemed like it was a pretty aggressive cancer. I was booked for surgery immediately. I had the best surgeon in the world and got so lucky because, you know, obviously like all of my mentors at UCSF, like texted them immediately. And the three best in the country, one was at UC Davis, one was at Stanford, and then one was somewhere else. And the Stanford one was booked out for like four months. And they're like, you cannot wait. And the other one was at Davis, and he was fantastic. I see this big scar here, but he did my surgery. I don't even see it, by the way. Yeah, he did it. Him and um, his residents did a fabulous job. They had a plastic surgeon kind of... Wow, I don't see it at all. Stitched me up, but he came back and he said, Simran, I have never seen that much cancer in six years of doing the surgeon. He was a chair of the department. So it was a lot. It was a lot of tumor. And, and I do think... Emotions play a big part in this too, right? Like how you think about yourself. I think cancer, I love to quote Rumi because Rumi is just one of my favorite authors and poets. The wound is the place where the light enters you. I truly believe that. And learning how to love myself was only possible after getting cancer Mm -hmm. because I realized if I wanted to make the difference that I wanted to make in the world, I couldn't do it if I was dead. Mm. (laughs) I had to save myself first. Mm. I had to figure out a way to heal. Mm. And that is me putting the oxygen mask on first and slowly, slowly learning how to love myself. Wow. Wow. And how was that time in, 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 in your relationship with your parents at that time? There was a lot of changes. So it's been five years since my diagnosis. I will say I've changed hundred times as a person in that period. Mm-hmm. I didn't change much from, you know, birth until 28. And then from 28 to today, the number of iterations of Simran have been incredible. And I think it's hard for the people in your life who are used to and accustomed to you being a certain way to see you differently. But I will say, I saw a level of pride in my parents' that I didn't see previously because I made some very hard decisions. I turned my life around 180 degrees Mm. from what I ate to how I talked to myself to the choices that I made. You know, we were all sitting and everyone's ordering pizza and having wine and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to figure out, maybe I'll try going vegan. And I stuck to it. I cut out sugar. I cut out alcohol. I cut out dairy, you know, now I'm pescatarian and you know more just more focused on being plant-based. I still don't eat meat, but I'm not as strict as I was, you know, then, but I made some really hard decisions that no one in my family could make with me. Mm. They wanted to give up sugar or alcohol or dairy or whatever it was. They couldn't do it. But they saw me sitting at the same table eating vegetables. And I did so begrudgingly, but I knew that I had to. I do think discipline is one of the highest forms of self-love. So I started becoming disciplined with myself. Mm. So I think I saw a level of pride in them, Mm. even if they couldn't do it and they were scared and they saw me being courageous. They saw me doing it, which I think if you have anyone in your family who has a health condition and you see them doing all the right things, I don't think there can be a greater sense of pride than that because Mm. it's just showing the will to live, the will to overcome. Mm. Wow. So here you are, you're at this like pinnacle time of your life. You get into med school, you get into like, and literally are living your parents' dreams. You have this profound diagnosis that 
everyone is like shocked about. And you get the top surgeon in the country to remove this tumor and you're going through this massive overhaul in yourself. What is going on in your mind around your mortality? Was that coming up at the time? Did you have those conversations with your family? I'm sure you had to make some hard decisions with med school. Take us through that chapter of, of life. Whew, there's a lot packed in there. So obviously surgery wasn't the end of it because it had metastasized. So then next up was radiation. And the type of radiation that I did, it was like pre-pandemic. So you had to be isolated because it was nuclear. So it was incredibly toxic. And so I was quarantined for about a week or so. And I had to go on this crazy diet you know, for the few weeks prior to it. And I remember, so that was the first time I did the radiation. I had to do it again the next year because it didn't end up working. And we were afraid that it caused the cancer to mutate and become more severe. So, you know, the first time I did the radiation and I was in quarantine, there's only so much TV you can watch. There's only so much like texting of your family members until they go to sleep. And then I'm stuck with myself and I'm stuck with my own thoughts. And I'm seeing and hearing all the things that are going through my mind, my emotions that are coming up. Am I going to die? What is the purpose of life? What happens to your soul after you pass? Why did this happen to me? Is there a reason? Am I going to overcome this? What am I going to learn? Who am I going to become? A lot of those questions. And I had to spend time with myself. I think I was so used to running on, what do they call it? The hamster wheel. Hamster wheel. (laughs) I never got off and now I was off and it felt like I was in this abyss and a lot of darkness and nobody there. Mm. I had to self-soothe and self-comfort, which I wasn't used to doing. Mm. So a lot of things came up and this was a long process. I'm going to just, you know, quickly pass this through. It took a few years of me not seeing results. Oh, wow. I went vegan, you know, really cleaning up my diet act and really learning how to love myself and put myself first, which I wasn't doing a very good job of. I decided in that period that I wanted to start a tech company using all of my learnings from medicine and healthcare and how people need to be, you know, empowered in their health and take all their health information and like own it. And so obviously I couldn't stop myself from like my mission. So while you're getting all of this done and you have this diagnosis, you start a health tech company Yes. while you have cancer. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Yes. I know it sounds crazy, but I just couldn't stop myself. Like I just, I couldn't. It was the only thing that I felt like was getting me over being obsessed with something negative. I had this will to live because I had this will to make a change in the world. I had the will to help people live their healthiest, happiest lives. But the truth is there's a lot of irony in that because I was working towards it, but I wasn't quite the role model that I feel like I'm more proud of myself today of how I've really turned my life around. Mm -hmm. But I was in those early stages of learning self-love. In 2019, I'd done the radiation again. And a few months later, I'm hospitalized. I had all kinds of crazy symptoms and my cancer marker has like risen dramatically. And And what does that mean? And now I'm scared. Mm. 
Mm. I don't know what it means. I really don't know what it means. They're ready to book me for surgery again, potentially, or do chemo. And it was a whole body hell no. And my surgeon had told me, he's like, Simran, that was a really massive surgery we did. You can imagine like this area is very delicate. There's a ton of scar tissue. He had told me, you know, once we ended the first surgery the first time, it's like our goal, because he's like, you're going to have this for forever. Like this much cancer, there's no way you're getting rid of it, right? Like it's not going to go away. It's not going to randomly just be in remission. So even if you're able to stabilize it, like it's going to come back and we're going to have to get surgery in the future, but we want to make sure that is as far out as possible because there is so much scar tissue. And you can imagine with this area, the complications are massive, right? Like all the things they cited to me when I was getting my surgery is not being able to, everything, right? Like being paralyzed, not being able to swallow, not being able to speak, death, like all of the side effects you can imagine, your whole parasympathetic nervous system. You know what's crazy that I wanted to tell you? This is how you can know how stressed out I was. He told me that the tumor was wrapped around my vagus nerve. Oh my gosh. Which ra- wraps your parasympathetic nervous system. He was like, he had to pry it off of my vagus nerve. Oh my gosh. And for those of you listening, Brave Table fam, the vagus nerve is literally what controls our nervous system. It's the part of what allows us to rest and digest. And it what if it's not controlled, then you have a dysregulated nervous system. And it's no wonder you wanted to keep running, keep running, keep running, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. And move faster and not slow down which is like the opposite, right? So and he had to pry the tumor away. He said he, said he from had your to literally get it off the vagus nerve. Oof. This is wild. And the vagus nerve is the only nerve that attaches your head and goes all the way down to the rest of, the the rest body. of your body. It touches all the organs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that to me was just like, I think there's these beautiful synchronicities and magical moments and things that you can't quite explain. That's the magic of life. And not to discount them as coincidence. Like I really look at signs as often as I can. So in 2019, that's really when I decided after all of these things were happening that there had to be another way. I didn't always have cancer. So this happened for a reason. The fact that I got no explanation of why this happened, that it's random, that it, you know, it could happen to anyone, it's really bad luck, really, really bad luck. I wasn't satisfied with that. And I decided I was going to do another complete reshuffle. My husband and I you know, came home from the hospital and I drew out every single aspect that impacts your health, every single aspect from like dentistry and doctor to nutrition, lifestyle, sleep, all of it. And that's really when I decided I wasn't going to continue with getting treatments and I was going to try it completely the holistic way, but putting myself first, started practicing meditation daily, started doing breath work, my potion, um, you know, all these Ayurvedic herbs, I became obsessed with the immune system and that cancer is a disease of the immune system. And if I could figure out a way to strengthen my body's innate immunity, I could heal. Because the truth is all of us have cancerous cells. We all do, but in a healthy body, your immune system will just gobble it up. It's gone. So I became obsessed with the immune system and like eating anti-inflammatory foods and doing my breathwork meditation, a lot of time in nature, learning how to love myself, sleeping well. And the basic five. I want to just add to what you're saying and kind of connect the points here because when your nervous system is dysregulated, 
then the inflammation just keeps on going because there's no way for your body to actually rest. And chronic inflammation causes aging in the body. It causes disease. Most of the diseases that Americans have today have to do with chronic inflammation. Wow. And so... They removing that tumor was one thing so that your body can now learn to actually be in a rest and digest mode. But it's also then you taking the initiative to then visit one of the oldest ancient functional medicine tools out there. Yep. And your big five. So can you actually go through all of that? The big five and the core five of your health is never going to change. No matter what drugs come out in the future, it's always been the same. It always will be the same. And this shows you how much agency you have in your own health. Number one, your nutrition, your diet, your supplements, your what you're eating, what you're putting in your body makes a huge difference. Number two, sleep. Everyone has got to get seven to nine hours of sleep every night. If you've got cancer, nine to 10. You have to sleep. That's when your body recovers. And I mean good sleep hygiene. If you're one of the very few on this planet who has you know, a different gene pattern, then you need six hours of sleep. But everybody else needs seven to eight hours of sleep. Next is relationships. Relationships are very important because they can add all kinds of emotional disturbances in your life. And emotions can cause disease because it's just chemical cascades. right? And the relationship with yourself is the most important one. Movement got to move your body, right? Like you got to get the juices flowing. You got to get all of it kind of moving and that will really help with flexibility. It will help with longevity. And then the last is stress management. Stress causes disease. It's no secret. And us learning how to deal with a healthy level of stress and manage the rest is going to be the core five of our health. Hey love, want to go deeper and behind the scenes with our mini trainings with some of our guests on the Brave Table? Then become an insider and get the inside scoop. It's absolutely free and you'll unlock private mini trainings that will help you be even more brave in your relationships as we go deeper in certain areas of your life. So become an insider today for free at nithabushin.com forward slash insiders. That's I-N-S-I-D-E-R-S and learn from the vice documentary Shaft on Pleasure, Dr. Kate Northrup on Money Blocks, Karen Rockland on Speaking Your Truth, and Dr. Nisha Khanna on Women's Health and so, so much more. And guess what? It's all free when you go to Neeta, that's N-E-E-T-A, Bouchon, B-H-U-S-H-A-N.com forward slash insiders. Grab your inside scoop today. And now back to the show. So take us through Potion and when did you recognize that going back to your roots was going to be the ultimate cure? So I started recognizing it in my first year of doing treatments. My mom was actually very into the holistic side and I was too, I was pretty spiritual, but I think I still had so much of those biases that like, what would my doctor say? Is this like going against the grain? Like, I think there was a lot of that hierarchy that I still kind of felt that I didn't have agency over my own health and my own body, that I had to do things by the book or by the rules or what was told to me. And so my mom was like, hey, there's like this really amazing, you know, practitioner in India and here and like, you know, 
whatever we need to do, let's start doing it. So I hired a team of Ayurvedic practitioners. I didn't have buy-in though at that moment. So I started learning things, right? About like what to incorporate. But I do think a really big part about healing and Ayurveda is you have to be ever present in your own healing. Mm -hmm. You can't just do rote, you know, memorization of the knowledge, but not actually apply it with the right sentiment because that really does matter. And then in 2019 was really when I committed. I was like, you know what? This is the oldest medicine in history. There is a lot that we can learn from this. I saw, I used my clinical research background to start to research all of the herbs. Like when I became so desperate that I thought that maybe I am delusional. Because I will say that first year and a half, even though I had all these questions, I thought the universe would take care of me. Mm. I think like I thought it was kind of a joke. Like not to say that cancer is not serious, but I think deep down I was just like, I'll be okay, right? Like that's why I can start this company and like, you know, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Well, it's you're just, 28 and you're we think we're invincible. I'm 28 and I was like there's no way that like God is that callous. Like there's no way. I'm helping and trying to heal so many people. Though in the beginning, I did feel like how could you do this to me? Like I've been in so much seva. But I think I was a bit delusional and then when I was hospitalized and the cancer murder kept spiking, that's when I was actually desperate. Yeah. That's when I was actually like Oh, F, I might actually die. I might actually not be able to have kids or like I might have a shorter life than I think. And I really got to change some stuff. So I had a lot of buy-in from Ayurveda. And as I started practicing it, you know, I had the fortune of being able to hire some people to help me, you know, a Ayurvedic nutritionist and chef who helped me learn how to cook and all of those things. And slowly, slowly, I began to love the practice Ayurveda is beautiful. All these questions that I told you about, Ayurveda is science, which I love, philosophy, which I love, and spirituality, which I love. It's the combination of all of that. It is the science of life. It's the wisdom of how to live your life. And it's all about self-love. It's all about nourishing your mind, nourishing your soul, nourishing your body. Every aspect of Ayurveda, it combines those three, the philosophy, the science, and the spirituality. That's a very beautiful science. And so it was no wonder that once I started getting into it, by my choice, I loved it. I loved it. And even as you're speaking about it, like your energy completely shifted and completely has changed. And now we have the bottle of potion in front of us. Take us through what this concoction was for you and how even this labor of love has been born. Oh, potion. I love it so much. It's a combination of 13 different adaptogenic, organic, whole plant herbs and spices. They've been around for 5,000 years. These formulations are no joke. Like they're potent. They are wonderful and, and it tastes amazing. So I will say like in the beginning of me trying to stuff these herbs down because I had to and I wanted to heal myself, you know, I bought a bunch of powders and it was nasty. It was, the whole experience was gross. And so, but slowly, slowly, you know, I first had a powder concoction and then slowly, slowly, I was like, I need to get the whole plants and herbs. And I knew that amla, for example, is heat sensitive, whereas turmeric, you know, really needs heat to be able to extract it. So I started learning, nurturing all these properties of each and every one of these herbs and spices mm. and when they go together and in what proportions and how to source them. And I became very interested in soil health and where we get the herbs from, all of those certain parts of the process. So truly from seed to fruit, 
all aspects of a plant is in potion. Mm. We have the seeds of black pepper and cardamom. We have the flowers of echinacea and passion flower. We have the root of turmeric and ashwagandha and ginger. We have the leaves of tulsi, the stems of giloy, the bark of cinnamon, like it's all of it in there. Mm. So it's like truly giving whole plant a whole new meaning. Like there's so many parts of potion that I'm just like, it's fully love. Not just what's in the bottle, the science behind it, how each and every herb and spice is nurtured and how it's put together, but it's also made with mantra. What I learned in Ayurveda, and that's why I talk about this, like that conscious element is so important. You can taste when someone cooks with love. You mm. can taste it. There is like, you know, research behind talking to a plant lovingly and talking hateful words and seeing that one blossoms and one doesn't. Energy is real and it matters. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You can feel it. So I convinced, you know, when we decided to start this brand to have our production house, we actually meet as a whole team, every single person who touches a bottle of potion, whether it's the box or it's the bottle, anyone whose hand touches it, we all meet together. We do a grounding meditation. We do chanting of mantras. And, you know, we play the chants as the potion's being made. That's all in the bottle. And as you can see, the design is something I took immense pleasure in as well Mm -hmm. because I was sick and I had all these bottles by my bedside and it just made me feel more sick. And the bottle is beautiful and the packaging is beautiful. The branding is so on point. And it tastes delicious. And it tastes incredible. We're doing a little special mini class for our insiders. So if you're curious about that, you can go to thebravetable.com forward slash insider and can sign up and uh, you'll get to see what we're going to be demonstrating here soon. So Simran, I'm just so blown away. And I think so many of us listening to this are probably hearing this for the first time that we could actually have agency in our health. That when the doctors give us a diagnosis, it doesn't mean that this is your death diagnosis. It can be, but you can also take the reins in your own hands. And what I'm hearing in the through line of this whole conversation is you're really saying, but it starts with loving yourself. It starts there, that seed, right? If you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. If you don't believe it with every ounce of your fiber, it's not going to happen. And loving yourself is the greatest gift you can give to the people around you. If you're a mother and you think it's all about loving your kids so much and you just give every ounce of your love to them, well, think about it. Like I explain this in, in many different ways, but if you have a cup and you only have so much water, right, and you pour it all out, you're empty. But if you were to fill that cup from the inside and it overflows, you can still fill other people's cup, but it's not at the detriment of yourself. Mm. And you will be more of a joy to be around. You'll bring more light and love into the room rather than sucking the energy out, right? And I was that person before because I wanted to help everyone so bad and I wanted to love everyone so fiercely and so hard. And then when I didn't get loved back, it hurt because I didn't give it to myself. I have, you know... I'm the best partner in the world. And I can tell you that me changing myself, of course, there's a transition with every person in your life. And there was a transition when I decided to fiercely love myself and put myself first because he wasn't used to it. But I can tell you, we have a much more gratifying relationship now because I'm a full person 
he's a full person and we come together and we're magnificent versus mm-hmm. we're two halves coming to make a whole. Oh yeah, please. Yeah. The half shit doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's something that happens, you know, when we are in our teen years yeah. or, you know, in our my 20s. better half. You people still say like better I'm half. Like, and oh I was like, my gosh, let me vomit yeah, right no. now. No, nobody's <laughs> going to complete you. You got to complete yourself. Complete yourself. Be that's, your own best that's, friend. That's where we get into enmeshment and it's, codependence, narcissistic totally. relationships. That's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's but, like, you know, when people ask me now, I'm so unapologetic and unashamed to be like, I love my own company. I fucking love it. I love mm-hmm. hanging out with myself. I'm so fun. I'm so cool. I have such great energy and I have so much fun with myself. So I just truly, truly honor you and how much it has taken you to fully take 100, if not 1000% ownership of your life. I ask this question to everybody and I feel like you've already answered it. What does it mean to be brave? And the other thing that I do as an igniting round is what is a word that describes the season of life for you? I hate using trite words, but I might do it. But it's like, I know everyone uses authenticity, but I think the reason everyone's using it is because everyone's craving it so much. I truly believe, because I've sat with this question, what's the purpose of life, right? I thought about this a lot. I think that every human being, have you read the book, God's Debris? Mm -mm. Okay. So basically, like we all come from nature. We all come from like source, right? We are all nature. And we're all just these little sparks of source. You want to call it God energy, whatever you want to call it. So we are all that. Mm. And we all have this special, unique sauce with the combination of how you were born, and like your own life experiences, your own talents and passions. And I truly believe the purpose of life is to find that, realize it, and do it and bring it to the world to bring joy to yourself and to other people and ignite that spark in them, right? Someone can be an incredible musician and someone else can be a great speaker and someone else can be, you know, love to do marketing or whatever it is. And you just bring that to the world. So I think being brave is really about finding what's authentic to you and not apologizing for it because you actually know that that's your special sauce, that's your spark. And that's what's going to allow you to ignite the world. Ooh. I love that. And as we end, what advice do you have for the younger version of yourself? Hold on. Mm. Good things are coming and you are already worthy. Thank you for your magic, your honesty, and this bringing our roots back into the form of life essence. Everyone go ahead and take your potion. Yep. Takeyourpotion.com. Take your potion on social media. Or you can find me too at Simran Kapoor and I talk about Take Your Potion. <laughs> Definitely follow Simran and I love watching her lives and as she's taking potion wherever she goes. I can't wait to bring you back again. I love this, Nita, and I love you. You're a very special human being. Until next time on The Brave Table. All right, loves, welcome back to the other side. Wow, what a powerful episode. I hope you learned way more about your body's incredible abilities to not only heal, but when we actually put ourselves first, what is possible? And if Simran's story is not just having you want to know more, go ahead and join our insiders. It's completely free. And when you go to thebravetable.com forward slash insiders, you will get to see how we demo 
Simran's product, Potion, what we do in some of her self-care practices that actually helped heal her cancer. Now, this is an episode that should be shared with a friend, a family member, maybe somebody that you love, maybe somebody that is going through their cancer journey, that they're not alone, that they could actually have agency with themselves just by putting themselves first. And if you want more out of Simran, go ahead and follow her. She is Simran with a C, Simran Kapoor, K-A-P-U-R on IG. And go ahead and grab your potion at Take Your Potion. That's Take Your Potion on IG. You can actually order potion with getting 10% off just by using the code, the Brave Table. And for more episodes like this, don't forget to tune in to the episode with Mona Sherma all about loving yourself and the episode with Adrusha Apana, all about taking matters into your own hands and creating an unconventional life, as well as the episode with Vasavi Kumar saying it out loud. All right, folks, thank you so much every single week for tuning in, pouring into this community. And if you love this episode, I would love for you to share it with a friend, share it with a colleague, share it with a family member. And we would love your five-star reviews. So all it takes is just 30 seconds. Go ahead, scroll down, give us five stars on iTunes. And when you send us your screenshot, we will send you a free gift. All right, that's all we have today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And don't forget to be just a little bit more brave.